Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose podcast. You know, we haven't really dove super deep into relationship to body and food. Um, and for me, that's a subject that really hits close to home in that I've always had a very interesting relationship with my body and to food. And I, you know, as you sort of play whack-a-mole or pick off the challenges or let's say dysfunctions that we have, you sort of see the same patterns and behaviors showing up in other things. I remember being at the spiritual retreat in January and hearing a woman ask a question. You know, she said, I'm sober now. I, you know, I, I, I don't drink and I just, I don't know how to get more clear. I don't know what I need to do. And I remember the teacher, Gangaji, said, get more sober. Get sober from everything that pulls you away from who from who you are. And that really resonated for me. It was, you know, to look at the things that pull us away, that soothe uncomfortable feelings, that distract us. That That's why it can be so simply your phone. And for me, you know, it's coffee, it's sugar. Um, and you sort of feel a heaviness to the world, the, the reality of the world. Um, and sometimes the reality of our own emotional states, you know, often, because we've been avoiding those feelings through these different mechanisms that are put in place to make us not feel so much. Because, you know, in a lot of ways, feeling especially sad, grief, anger, all those things, sadness, we are taught are bad and and that they're negative emotions rather than emotions or information. And if we turn away from these alarm bells, these pieces of information, we go deeper into them because we're not listening to the alarms that are going off, that something in our environment, in our experience is not safe and it's not okay. You know, we've been taught to shut those things off, to shut down those feelings. There's something wrong with you. And you know, it's interesting because the very fact that if you have feeling, if you have feelings even that you don't like, it's actually evidence that you're working really well, that that you're actually turned on. And 
that's a different message than the one we've all been told. Now, in terms of relationship to body, I've been in an ever interesting cycle of putting on weight, losing it, putting on, losing really into fitness and really into going out in the wilderness and all those things. It really birthed as a kid. I remember being in grade five and starting to feel like for whatever reason, I think I had just started to eat sugar and I was in love with chocolate milk, you know, and I'd eat too much and because sugar is a freaking drug. And I got kind of chubby and I remember feeling how that affected me in a status level as we moved into junior high. So like grade seven. So I'm like, you know, 12. And I could feel that, that change, that, you know, the, that social structures start to get created around those ages, you know, the popular guys, the popular girls, the, you know, the nerds, the, the middle, I was really, it was so interesting how we create these social hierarchies that start to basically mimic the hierarchies, mimic the hierarchies that we have been taught that have been shown to us, maybe through our family systems, certainly through media, religion, all of these things. And what we value, so, you know, it was like athletes instantly became the top, um, symmetry in the face, uh, thinness. And I was sitting at a friend's birthday in grade eight. I remember exactly where I was. I was sitting on this picnic table. There's the, the guy sitting across from me I hadn't seen in a long time. And he said to me, Mark, I can see you've become quite a porker. And I remember in that moment, just my like heart falling into my stomach and what it felt like to experience judgment and rejection and all the things. It's interesting because my response to that, you know, was to shut down. I probably self-deprecated. And then that next year, I self-deprecated a lot that summer. Sorry, I self-deprecated a lot. I would insult myself before someone else could. And when my response was, I would not eat as much. I would basically become somewhat anorexic and I would do a lot of fitness. I remember drinking my grandma's Slim Fast, which was a product that was supposed to make you feel full so you didn't have hunger, so you didn't want to eat. And I'm freaking 13 doing this. You know, it's crazy to think about. And... I got back to school on the first day. I was thin and I remember being noticed and all of a sudden moving up the social hierarchy and being angry. Like I'm still the same person. And I remember in that there was sort of like a resentment to how things work. But there was also that I knew if I was fit or I was good at sports, I got social status. And so I really cling to those things. I really made those a priority, not ever dealing with the moment and the feeling of what it means to be rejected. And I think I'm still uncovering a lot of that. I think I'm still on the journey of feeling how I feel, you know, when I eat things or I still have a relationship to sugar that is very much addictive. And so I'm in the midst of you know, I've explored alcohol, I'm done with that. I've explored 
all these different ways. I'm on decaf now, just seeing what is it like to not have my adrenals cycled, you know, in hyperdrive all the time. And then now I'm really looking at that. And I, I recognize how much it is important to have the body in homeostasis, to have it in a state of balance and to put these things in that really soup us up, that rev us up. They pull us out of balance. They pull us out of presence to ourselves. And sometimes that presence to self is actually quite painful. So, you know, it can feel daunting or very scary at first. But I know that all I find within those spaces is more of me. And there's nothing to be afraid of because it's just me. You know, the parts of me that have been sad, rejected, and the parts of me that have joy. Because as Brene Brown says, if you numb one, you numb the other. So I wanted to bring on more conversation about food, about the journey of nutrition, about, you know, our experience with cooking, our experience with community. And one of my great friends, Michaela Rubin, is such an incredible, incredible human and a master chef, you know, just she's a nutritional chef. And one of the, you know, when you get to hang out with chefs as friends, you're all of a sudden like, they're like, I'm just going to whip up some breakfast. And you're like, holy shit, that is whipping up breakfast. That's like me going all out times 10. Oh, yeah, I just mixed together a little blah, 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 blah. And now I have a paprika slash pesto. I don't even know if those go together. Egg Benedict made with Florentine. I see. I don't even know. But either way, I'm grateful to have her on the podcast to share her wisdom, some of her journey. And I can't wait for you to hear it, too. So I invite you to explore where you and your life pull away from yourself. I invite you to explore how you relate to food. Does it feel like something you have to restrict, control? Does it feel like something you go to when things are not so good, which is, hey, welcome to the club, right? And and also your uh, relationship to your body, because those are the same thing. And so it is with great excitement that I share this episode with Michaela Rubin. What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I'm not from Texas, but sometimes I sound like I am, y'all. <laughs> uh, okay, so I have one of my very good friends, Michaela Rubin. Imagine if I pronounce your name wrong after all this time. <laughs> You're like, it's actually Michaela. I'm like, shit. <laughs> so welcome Thank to the you. podcast. So we were discussing, what is Michaela's title? Chef. Mm-hmm. Celebrity chef. Sure. Nutritional chef. Why not? <laughs> chef. You do stuff with food that makes people happy. Yes. Including yourself. Yes. Okay, is the doing the thing with food bring you more joy than the eating of the food or both? Ooh. I like doing of the food for other people and I prefer the eating of it when it's for myself. So I skip a lot of the steps in the cooking. Yeah. When I'm just trying to feed me. Oh. Yeah. Are they like love-based steps that you skip? <laughs> like what it would be a skip, like a step that you'd skip? I mean, it depends. I don't present my food as beautifully as I would to a client. And I wouldn't maybe make the perfect sauce. But I'm doing that because I don't really like dishes. 
So you could look at it as... A... <laughs> so you're cutting it to not have an extra <laughs> yeah, dish? Yeah, <laughs> so, for sure. Uh, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> as uh, someone who's experienced your cooking many times now, and uh, Michaela was the chef at the first ever retreat that I ran with Vienna Farron from Mindful MFT. Um, and that, I mean, most... <laughs> I hate to say this because it's not as great for me, but good for you. Is most people at the end of that were like, yeah, that was really great. And the food <laughs> was incredible. But I think what that speaks to is that part of a transformational journey of any kind involves being, being loved or experiencing love in many angles. You know, it, it's like if you, if you change your life and the choices you make and the partners you choose or the way you communicate or whatever it is, but you become more loving, mm -hmm. which includes boundaried, but you make really poor food choices, there will still be an inconsistent part in the way we're showing up. Is that fair? Yeah, for sure. I think the way you choose to feed yourself is absolutely like seen in how you prioritize yourself. You're, you choose to make a little bit of time to brush your teeth in the morning. And you could choose to make a little bit of time to make your smoothie or your eggs. It's a very, for me, it's a direct correlation to self-love and self-care, one, one of which I wasn't always good at. Yeah. So, you know, I'm very much a believer that we turn our mess into our message mm -hmm. or um, the skill we develop is sort of, I find that at least for me too, the thing that we did to survive or to like escape or to seek validation or whatever it is becomes this overextended, overdeveloped muscle in a sense. So if you were really good at hiding away, you'll get real good at, you know, better at it. If you're really, if you were someone like me who wanted to be funny and noticed and loud and opinionated, which didn't always serve me well, but it at least got me attention. It became an overdeveloped skill that when you learn how to dance in can actually be an incredible uh, opportunity. So I'm curious for food. How does that, how did that show up? Where did it begin? Mm, where think, did it begin? Yeah, where did, I think it really, I think I learned to receive love by nourishing others right away. Food wise, mainly, or just in general? Emotional, mm. being there for everyone. If someone was crying right away, it trumped my feelings. Like it was always about the sacrifice of self to make someone else feel comfortable, loved, seen, whatever that was. And I thought that was me being a really good person. Um, and then that translated into cooking for people. Originally, I was doing physiotherapy, still another modality that is about healing someone. But um, in the food part, I, I learned how to nourish a human through food and through kind of like being an emotional friend and that was definitely kind of how I learned to receive love and to be rewarded and validated externally. So to receive love from the acts that you provided, the emotional dependence, but also the food. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And it was still, the, the setup was similar to what I had known growing up and in that I still was abandoning my needs. Like I took a lot of pride in I stayed up all night making this food or man, I've been working so hard. Like I wanted to, I wanted to show up a hundred percent, but I didn't realize it meant losing myself in it. Mm. So I, I, I thought I was a better person, a better worker, a better human. If I sacrificed everything 
to deliver the best quality of service, of presence, but it wasn't to self. It was always to the the client. So I nourished others unbelievably well. But in that time, I think I lost how I've just lost the focus on what it was to do that for myself first. So to do it at the cost of self. Yes. Is that the, the pr- like the presence and the maintaining of their needs and the total invalidation of your own in that experience? Was that, I would imagine that that is an ongoing <laughs> exercise of like practicing the prioritization of self. Because when it's your job, right? Like it's now become on some level your job, but your passion. Mm-hmm. It's easy to continue to self-abandon, especially when you're receiving money to self-abandon, mm-hmm. which hello, you know, like hand up over here too, right? That it's easy to overgive when that's where we receive celebration. Yeah, I think I think I set up the career without boundaries that protected me at all. And then later kind of suffered the consequences and watched my own body and my own health and my own happiness and mental state kind of start to collapse. And then now I've learned a new balance inside of it where I have seen the effects of nourishing, which is ironic because I nourish other people, but I had never been doing it back to me. So now when I cut time out in the day or when I make those efforts that I would do for a client, I see the effect. It's like I've been teaching, but never doing. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) Hi, I'm over here. I'm like, I'm not eating. I'm drinking coffee. Not, you know, like, no, no space and time for lunch. It's about like the quality of the food that I can prepare and the impact I can have in other places. And then I was starting to realize that like, I was the person eating at 11 PM because that was the first space I'd made in the day for myself. Mm. And I put off exercise. Like I stopped exercising for three years and gained 30 pounds, but no one knew that because media is such a funny thing. You can make yourself look however you want. And it wasn't until I like took back the space and prioritized my own boundaries, that my body shifted. I learned so much and I got to start walking the walk that I had been literally teaching people for 10 years. And now it's a really interesting thing to re-navigate the career that I set up because it was set up on kind of faulty structure. Mm. Like I said- Like with you over giving. So now it's like I landed back in the career after some like realizations and I learned so much and I'm so grateful to what I got to do inside that career. But when I started to prioritize my needs and put my nourishment first, I had to and have to currently have to keep reworking what my career looks like. How, how can I be in service and in boundary at the same time? How can I nourish others only after I've nourished myself? Mm. So there's like a really new kind of place where I've landed and you know, I did work with people in the past that if they wouldn't abandon self right away, I'd be like, well, you're not, you're never going to make it in this. You know, like it was about hard work and sacrifice. Like you want to see what I've done? Like you need to give up. You can't sleep. Like you're going to age, you're going to gain weight. Like this is part of the job. Like there was such a weird Uh, mentality that I used to have of like punishment almost for success. And other people are like, that's just how it works. Yeah. And we're like, fuck that actually. Yeah. I mean, in, there's so many beautiful layers in there that I love because really it just becomes, again, a projection of my own experience too, that it becomes, and I see this a lot in like healthcare jobs, mm-hmm. coaching, uh, and psychotherapy, all these different jobs that are designed around caretaking 
which is beautiful. These overdeveloped skills right from childhood generally, it's like being paid to be codependent, right? And, but I'm empathic, but I care, but I, and it's like all this language of permission, permissible self-abandonment that's done, but I need to for work, but I, but, 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 but. And these other people who are so used to overtaking Mm -hmm. without respect for other people's boundaries, actually probably unconsciously feeding off the wounds of the overgiver, sometimes consciously, (laughs) (laughs) but this righteousness that Mm -hmm. comes on both sides, which is really fascinating because I'm not into the like one side is worse than the other. Both are in an agreement. One just suffers far more, Mm -hmm. uh, which is sad, but you hope that the suffering causes transformation, but that overgiving eventually you get to a place where you're so depleted that you become, you hit a rock bottom. Yes. You, you, you kind of have to, there's no way around it and you do it for so long. And, and one day you just wake up and you are at a rock bottom and and that can take many forms. Obviously, (laughs) It could be with Jack Daniels or it could be (laughs) with just sleep deprivation and weight gain and, and health related. Yeah. And I think there's like, you know, to realize that you're not taking care of yourself and your whole life is about taking care Ugh. of other people. You're like, really? Like the, the awareness of that alone is so hard to sit in and to suddenly also like the fraud, like, well, well, you know, you get this positive reinforcement from people and they're like, we're so proud of you. You're doing so great. And you're like, if you knew me, you wouldn't mm. respect me this way. Cause so then you bring this other element of like, I'm not taking care of myself the way that you see me taking care of other people or the way I present so now you have agreed to this caretaking relationship where you're totally avoiding responsibility to self or, and you're not like, you're just not boundaried in any way. And then there's this fraud thing. So now your self-worth is fully mm. entangled. So you've got kind of like all these different aspects and you just wake up and you're like, what have I done? <laughs> you're like, I don't believe in the, any success that I've had because I believe it's fake because I don't walk what I'm teaching. Mm. And and i've i've now agreed to give myself to be loved so now like how do i even do this so it, you just start start to see these big holes you're like now i have to fill this love here <laughs> and i have to learn how to nourish myself here and i have to try like i know this works for other people what would it feel like to nourish me and that's where i got to which was really it was a wild time and it, it was a really low low and i had to take steps and actually practice seeing what would happen if I put myself first. And, and, you know, a lot of people didn't really like it and I lost work. And are those the people who were benefiting from <laughs> you having no boundaries? Yeah. I mean, yeah. There, there's a huge, like me giving up power is the dance that you're kind of speaking of. Like, if like there is the dance, they commit to it too. Yeah. You know, like they take yeah. power. I yeah. take, I give power and it's where I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable seeming less intelligent often. I'm comfortable giving power away. I'm comfortable like I don't stand necessarily and be like I want this attention. I'm like I I often act more humble. Like I've just like learned these dynamics to stay like unnoticed in some of the careers that I've had. Like hide in the background, not take the uh the acclaim yeah. or the uh the acknowledgement of truly how impactful you are. And putting someone else up on a pedestal being like, well, their needs are more important than my own. Mm. So the whole focus of this job is to caretake for them. And so it doesn't matter what I'm going through. Like I I remember 
Like suck it up. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like really hard moments in my life where I was like, this would be like, you know, this is where I would maybe call and be like, hey, I'm going through something. I can't make it in today. But you're like, nope, this is not, you You don't deserve this. You're not allowed to take this space. It's about the job. Stay focused. You you agreed to do this show up. And I don't know why it was just like this really mean mean internal dialogue that I have had with myself that really, um, that like always pushed me to put someone else first. So I think that it's just been very interesting to try and now reconfigure what this looks like and what being like literally being paid to nourish others. (laughs) Like that is my job and that's my family role and, and, and like, how do you do that in a boundaried way and how do you start to define your boundaries without that fear? And like every time I make a new boundary, like I want to vomit. <laughs> I'm like, this is actually my right yeah. now, or these are my boundaries, or you can't just call me at this hour. Like I'm not, you don't own me. I actually mm-hmm. am doing everything in my power to like create that structure so that I feel safe in the life that I set up. Isn't that neat that it's like everything that was the hardest fucking stuff to do as a kid, mm-hmm. like the skill that never got witnessed and the skill that never got celebrated is the skill that is demanded. And it's like that saying, you know, I always hated the saying because it's so <laughs> fucking true, which is how we do one thing is how we do everything. And that if you develop a skill in one area, it's like if you turn your life down in one area, you must turn it down in others because you've decided to not pay attention. Well, if you decided to be blind to one thing, you must be blind to all things that are related. So like you said, like turning down your voice, turning down your shine, turning down all these things, or never maybe ever having it turned up, except for in these fleeting moments where you were in flow and found joy. And then someone went mm-hmm. like, that's enough. And you're like, Oh, I'm a kid. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how we carry that, that energy. Yeah. It's, it's kind of wild to like reenact those things or to be so scared of trying to ask for a need to be met. Like the fear that I have in my body when I try to set a new boundary, when I try to ask for like what Mm. I've been, like if I have some worth stuff and I'm like, this is now what I need in this new contract, it, it, I like just wait for the rejection. Like it's so deeply rooted that it's going to, no matter what, be a negative result. Yeah. And I know like that, a line of like, you're being selfish, Mm -hmm. right? You've never heard that before, have you? you're being selfish or do you really think you deserve that? Or how dare you ask? I thought we were friends or like, there's just so many ways in which, you know, asking for what you think you deserve. And it, and so when your self-worth is so attached and, and interwoven into this new ask of a boundary, which for me, it was very much in the beginning. Every time I wasn't always this. right, yeah. when it isn't well-received, I'm like, oh, I'm not worth it. Like it's mm. so wild. And, and I'm like slowly starting to see that it isn't always me. <laughs> like what they're willing to pay me isn't a measure of my worth as a human being. But I, I swear that that has been some of the, the hardest work, like feeling value in what I offer is when I protect myself, because I'm so celebrated when I'm not protecting myself. I'm 
so loved if I'm putting everyone else's needs first. Yeah, you know how to play that game. Major. Overdeveloped. Yeah. That one. Yeah, I, got, I nailed that Fucking one. Fucking <laughs> nailed. Master. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the minute it comes back to like me asking for my needs, like my whole body gets hot. And it can be like, mm. hey, it could be if you were late to pick me up for a coffee or something, I could even just me saying like, you know, that this is how that felt. If I even wanted to say that, like, again, I would feel sick first. Wait, are you, are you trying to clear something with me? <laughs> Last weekend, okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, are you trying to tell me something? This is a good spot to tell it. <laughs> I was waiting for this moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. You've crossed a boundary. Can you yeah. do this on a podcast? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it hurt when, no, I, I just, even just the little things, like when you become so aware of how much you let pass in a day, when you're like, wow, that kind of affected me. And it takes, you know, being online and embody, which is a whole thing. And like, I notice I'll be like, okay, I feel a feeling. I want to like go on Netflix or, or text someone or like, whoa, scroll Instagram. Like, let's get right out of this feeling. Like give me like the, the crack escape. But now it's, it's, I'm trying to make real efforts to be like, okay, there's the feeling now like sit. You are making, you're not trying. I've watched you do this mastery. You're you're right for for the few, last As few Yoda years. Says, there is no try. <laughs> There's only do or do not. <laughs> for the last few years, I have actively made a decision to sit in a feeling when it comes up because once you see that you spend your day distracting from things that feel you can't go back. And if you choose to do Netflix, you do it without punishment. You do, you do it, it from a place of love for sure. You're I'm like, choosing this, this because yeah. Yeah, I think of um, how self, because self worth is 100% directly correlated to the willingness to set a boundary and ask. Because so I know for me too, when I wanted to charge more because I was feeling resentment because I was so undercharging for my time that when you resent anything, you know you need a boundary. That's 100% true all the time. And so then I was like, okay, what amount would feel right? And then asking for that. What I find when you build a new boundary is you're essentially drawing a bigger moat around you. So you've like stretched the size of the land you're willing to take up or the space. And when you draw it for the first time, it's the idea like if they respect my new line, then my new line's valid. Not seeing that by the drawing of the line, you must, must, must grow into this new space. So now I got to landscape more space. I got to take up more space. (laughs) I've got to breathe bigger. I've got to be louder, but maybe even quieter. Mm -hmm. And it's such an interesting, expansive. That is always scary because we've never done it, you know, generally, or if we did, we got like squashed. Mm -hmm. So I've watched you do that. (laughs) Well, and the, and that moment where you're waiting for the validation. And, and when the person writes back and says, like, I'm horrified that you would change your rates or like whatever that is. And you kind of sit in that and mm-hmm. like that hurts. It's the worst. Cause it is, it's really like being the, the child and asking for your needs to be met and being blatantly ignored and not knowing it at the time. But that fear really sits with you. And, and like when I've had conversations with you in the past about like negotiating and, and you're like, this is a boundary. Do you see what's happening here? And no matter what. In, in your mind, you might view it and not see the emotion. In my mind, like I am having full panic yeah. the way I would have it like a, as a six-year-old yeah. for sure. So it's, it's really wild to, you know, it seems simple, but, you know, just the practice of, you know, 
what makes me happy? Where are my boundaries? How do I ask for them now? Where is my voice? How do I sit long enough in my body to even hear what I need? Like it's what, you know, every day, you know, the struggle out here. I'm kidding. Struggle's real. (laughs) I'm kidding. I mean, logic goes out the window because logically we know, oh yeah, I should ask for this amount or I should say no to that job because it involves someone who's toxic, Mm -hmm. you know? And then, but you know, it's almost like, only the universe can find someone who who will reenact exactly our shit. You know, like covertly, they'll show up as the perfect next step. And then all of a sudden they slam you with one of those left hooks that you're like, oh, I didn't know you were like my mom or my dad or whatever it is for someone. And to know that, gosh, these are these continued invitations. Because you don't end up in those situations anymore when you develop the skill that never gets you in those situations, because people don't fuck with you when you, they know you emanate. And I say this again from self, Mm -hmm. this is not any criticism of anyone is like when you emanate worth energetically, you don't even play in that game anymore, but the universe always tests you when you're growing, gives you the old thing. Can you, can you, can you, and you're like, yes, maybe <laughs> can I do it Friday? Because yeah. Wednesday is not looking good. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with so many other things, though, like self-care. Because if you're not doing self-care, then you're not going to have you're not going to be doing self-worth. No, you right? can't. Or yeah. you, you, you can still try growing, but it really comes down to like, what what are the things that keep you grounded? Like, what do you need in your life on the daily? And I think even just learning those is a unique journey, too. Oh, yeah. And they're going to change. Yeah. And it's so easy to take something like a gummy bear and eat one of those <laughs> and realize you're not grounded anymore. Right. But man, drug, right? Yeah. Like sugar, sugar, sugar. That uh, That is one of my favorite drugs of choice. <laughs> Mine's cheese. Cheese. <laughs> yeah, it's the opiate receptors, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. And it's like comfort. It's so comforting to my body. Like when I get when I feel anxious, all I want is melted cheese. It's what not even kind? cheese. I like an aged goat cheddar. That's your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> On anything. I'll take any vessel. <laughs> any delivery <laughs> any system. Vessel. Do you even need a vessel? No, I sometimes melt it just on parchment paper if I can't find anything to put it on. Maybe we shouldn't talk about that part. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but it is like, it's a it's a thing. Like I'll, anything I can put it on, I'll put it on. And it really is like, when I need that comfort, that's what I go to. Because it's, it's you know... We're just still learning like what is self-soothing and to acknowledge, I think those little bits too, like on the night that I need Netflix and melted cheese, fine. Like it's Mm -hmm. be gentle with that too. Cause I think as you were saying, like when you emanate a different vibration, you attract that and people don't try and come in and say like, actually, can you do this differently and change who you are and now be, be without your boundaries? Like people won't come near you. And I think, um, I'll think that I've like, grown and then it'll come like just so sneaky like Mm -hmm. a new client will come in or like a new working relationship and i'll realize like halfway into it that i've missed a flag or i ignored something and i you know intuitively knew that if i had stood up for myself maybe in this conversation or set a stronger boundary here i would have lost the gig so it's still like this like fear of not being loved fear of not being received all of that stuff still comes up until and I'd say like it's a an ongoing. It is such hey. Yeah, it's wild because it's like the work is never done because being boundaryed is never done. There are people who are freaking bulldozers all over the place, <laughs> you know, in all forms. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and there's that. I always love that saying. 
don't know who said it. So if you want to write this on a meme, be, feel free to throw my <laughs> name on it. Uh, but it's it's uh, the only people who will not like your boundary are the people who benefited from you having none. Um, but I think the important caveat to that is, as you said, like your career was built on a foundation, like a, a bit of a false foundation. And and I think that's true for all of us that till we really stand in our true authentic self, which is about undoing all the survival strategies, all the trauma responses, all the bullshit, who you thought you needed to be, what this meant to be this gender or this person or this color or this whatever it is, that until you undo or look at those things and peel away what is not authentically you, there's a, there's such a learning that occurs that all the relationships generally will be built on old agreements and old versions of you. And it's easy to get angry about that. I've certainly had been angry about that. But then there's a line of responsibility that I unconsciously chose these things to fit in and then there's compassion. I wanted to ask, you had said earlier that when you first are aware of the lack of, Mm. there's that, like you said, you can easily turn around. Like there's, you can go back. Well, you can't really ever go back, but you can. What is the feeling that occurred for you in the acknowledgement and understanding that you lacked the boundaries or authentic integrity in your work? Like you're nourishing people, but you're not nourishing yourself. Like what was my realization? Yeah. Like when you realized it, what was the overwhelming feeling? Oh, um, <laughs> Man, I think I was frustrated with myself, to be honest. Like I was, I saw what I had created and I saw in the same moment how much it had hurt me and I was mad Mm. and there was a bit of grieving, but there was a lot of anger and I was like really struggling with trying to be compassionate to self and being like, okay, like you can start again today as a new beginning, be mm-hmm. strong. But I was like, wow, look what we've done. Like, look at, look at the suffering that we've allowed and not putting our needs first. And, and of course, like all these, where would I have been if I had put myself first or who would I be? Or would my happiness be different? Like it was a very hard day when. Shit, you did that in a day. Well done. You know, I did, I did a few different things and it kind of all led to that moment. Yeah. There was a, it just all kind of hit me at once. And it, that's a big one. That's the, that's the shame train coming. Shame train hit me sideways. Yeah. And if we don't change, we like stay at the station, you know, we're like, uh, ticket for one. I'd like to catch the shame train. And it was, it was really interesting because I had been calling in kind of like healthier relationships at the same time in my, friendships. And one girl in particular at that moment, I was supposed to fly from Vancouver to New York for her birthday. And there was a storm and I was exhausted. I'd been working so much for another client. And she was like, you know, I'd rather you not come. Like my present could be you taking care of you. And I was perplexed. And I hung up the phone and I was like, this is such a weird, (laughs) I literally, I was like, no, but I need to show up for you. I'm, I'm trained. I'm your, you can rely on me. I'll be there. Like I need to, yeah. And it was so, it was so weird that she was like, I need you to understand that you taking care of you is a gift. And I sat with it that night and it was right around the same time. And I realized I was like, oh man, all of this has spilled into everywhere. Like I'm doing this in my family, my friendships and my work 
where my boundaries are just <laughs> scattered on the floor <laughs> like confetti. Like there wasn't wrong kind of party. Yeah, <laughs> it was a, but but the realization was very hard. And I think you know recognizing patterns, understanding how they've been formed, understanding how they play out still on the daily has been a really beautiful kind of few years for me of just like being in the constant, like just trying to stay aware and in action of them. And where I still kind of struggle and really have to focus is the being the compassionate hand to myself. Like when you have a realization, just coming in and being gentle being like, okay, so yeah, maybe life would have been different, but like, we don't need to go there. Like mm -hmm. being softer and not saying like, oh, you, you'd really mess that one up. Or like, it's just so, for me, it's really easy to turn to a bit of like a meaner voice. And so that is, you know, I have a beautiful realization all the time about <laughs> like life and moving forward because we're going to grow until we die. You know, mm -hmm. it's just, it's just life. So I think that's been really interesting for me just to notice when I, when I am not present to that like gentle love that also needs to be there when you are growing because growth is hard. And being a human is hard. Yes, it is. Especially when you start paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Or you, or you're like, man, if I didn't, or sorry, man, I don't know why I keep saying that. When you don't have that pattern, if you're like, w if I hadn't done that, maybe I would have done X, Y, and Z already. Mm, the shoulda, coulda, woulda. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. The shoulda stuff like really gets me. And so that's when I have to be like, come back in, be happy where you got to, look at you now. Like, like this really loving mother voice has to come into my head to be like, you're doing great. Life, be yeah, present, eat be melted present. cheese. You deserve it today. It's been tough. <laughs> so I'm learning to really practice there rather than just like having the awareness because there is this moment where you're too aware. And for me, it was paralyzing a little bit being like, wow, I've made a lot of messes. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of the moment of boundary realization. That gentleness with self. It's like if we can't offer ourselves that we can't truly authentically offer it to others. I know that for me, when before I really started writing and like going more public, I guess, with my writing, I wanted to make sure I cleaned up my integrity. But I knew that the actual work itself would be the accountability to the integrity. You know, like I knew that I couldn't say something if I wasn't doing it. And of course, there's realizations in humanness that you make a mistake and then you experience healthy shame that says, hey, there's another behavior that you can do now. And I did find and still find, but I'd say more formally through the reminders of friends like you that, that hey, you're human. Like, mm -hmm. don't hold yourself on a pedestal. Don't hold yourself to a standard that's unhuman or inhuman. And I was listening to, I watched that documentary from the Beastie Boys the other day. And I forget which beastie boy said it, but I think it was Adam. <laughs> mm -hmm. Adam? Anyways, the guy on the left, <laughs> he said uh, they were talking about their their video, I think it was from the 80s or 90s, where it was like, girls do the laundry. Mm -hmm. girl. And they were talking about how um, they apologized for how misogynistic some of their music was. Um, and he said, the other guy was telling the story saying, you know, we were in an interview and he was being interviewed about it. And he said, like, we need to work on this process and like equal rights and all those things. And the interviewer said, um, well, that's pretty hypocritical of you, isn't it? Based on what you've been through and what you've done. 
And he said, well, I'd rather be a hypocrite than stay the same person. Bam. And I was like, <laughs> fuck yeah. Yeah. But we like live in this environment now, cancel culture, that is like, we don't really give space for people to have formally, no, hey, people should be held accountable for their shit. But I really think that that's like, I think it's hard for us to hold compassion for ourselves, for our transformations and who we've been. And gosh, I'm so glad I'm not who I was at 21 or 32 or, you know, in the evolution of kindness and compassion and, and undoing so many things and breaking away from the messages of Catholicism. And, and I'm speaking this personally, but hey, if you're Catholic, you might fit. <laughs> um, but like all these different ways we're taught who we're supposed to be in our families, we, you know, inherit toxic patterns because no one's ever done it different yet. And gosh, is this generation and the generations who are on the planet today doing some fucking heavy lifting. I am yeah. like, I just want to acknowledge that if you're listening to this, you're clearly doing heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. And, and wouldn't that be a beautiful thing to be born one where we all care for the planet? Hey, that's an opportunity mm -hmm. right now. Um, but also that, that we're, we're free from the toxic patterns that when we're born, which I've, you know, I, I feel like is an evolution that's occurring. That's really stratified by privilege too, and wealth and all the things, color. It's really interesting. I've been thinking about like, just as you were speaking, the, like that dynamic that you have to receive love, like, yes, you're probably born loving the earth and being this pureness. And then you learn what it is you learn and you get rewarded at that point, you're like, okay, I, if I take care of this person, I will be rewarded. And then you just don't realize how your whole life is dictated by these particular moments and experiences. And then you end up waking up to it later and you're like, holy crap. That was the moment. That was the moment. Yeah. Like I was rewarded right there. And now this is who I am. And then breaking that down again. And yeah, I do believe there's an opportunity for so much growth right now because these conversations are happening more often and it's more relevant and we're a generation that gets to look inside a little bit more. We don't have like active, I mean, I guess right now we're a little funny and chaotic, but not like generations past. Yeah, not like when, you know, my grandparents in Canada fucking caught a wagon in the winter, <laughs> you know, like yeah. now I'm like, oh, I'm going to get in my car that has... Yeah. Oh, and I have to roll down the window manually? What is happening? You know, as opposed to like getting a horse to pull me somewhere or suffer, you know, so much stratification of struggle. And it's still so continues to be true for so many people. And I think that like a lot of the guilt and shame that was of like the other generations has trickled down into kind of like how we were parented too. Like, you know, you have a sick sibling, you need to take care of them. That's your role. And your needs will come after that. Mm. And then, and, and like, they just learn guilt, shame speaking too. So then you, you know that, and then that becomes kind of one of your internal voices. And you're like, I need to do this. I should do this. And so I think, I think even just like the way that we speak to ourselves is starting to change without the shoulds and the guilt and the shame. I think we're going to like step into a lot more freedom as we do this, but it is a, just a different time. Like we're not on wagons. No, no. I, is it Louis C.K. who has that funny, I mean, I know no one wants me to reference him anymore, but he does have some good comedy. He is funny. Okay. So he has that line where he talks about how when you go from New York to L.A., it used to take like six years. Yeah. And now it takes six hours. Yeah. And like you're mad that the internet doesn't work. Yeah. You know, like there is also that level of entitlement. And 
I certainly noticed that people don't want to struggle. Like people don't want to have any um, discomfort. And you see that a lot. Like someone reads someone's comments on fucking Instagram or Facebook. And then they're like, I can't believe you said that. And it's like, it's not the, it's not the internet's job not to trigger you. Like it's <laughs> yeah. actually its job, I think might be to actually trigger you or me or anybody because I'm of the same experience, you know, but I, I think that there is, there's such a collective experience of us all really wanting more. I think if, if we're paying attention, if we're awake and, and even trying to get into the definite, what does awake really mean? But I think it's, it's literally just saying like, why do I do what I do? Mm. Who am I mm-hmm. below all of this? And, and it's a privilege to ask that question. Huge privilege and important. What is, what is it that drives you forward? What, what actually brings you peace and happiness? Like what, what, what are those answers? And I realized recently, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but but asking is like, again, like you said, a privilege, but also... I like, Responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Were you going to say that? I just took it. You, it's okay. You can take it. This is yours. <laughs> but it is. It's like, and and you might think that you're not allowed to find it, like that you should just do what you've been told to do. Like if I had listened to what I was told to be, I would be a doctor because that's what my family wanted me to be. Mm. And seeing what really brings me joy. Like when I shut my eyes, what makes me smile? And I'm like, man, if I could get paid to like watch sunsets professionally, I'd probably give you (laughs) You that answer. But I think, I think just having like being able to ask those questions and then, yeah, not, not feeling bad about it, but actually celebrating the things that you are passionate about or that make you come alive and then learning how to incorporate those into your life. Because I think that for me is the goal and the next step of like the iteration of this career is, okay, what did you build now? How do you bring more joy into it? Mm-hmm. Because kind of what's the point? Yeah, I agree. It, it comes to that feeling too. I I like to add now because, you know, it's like I discovered, okay, I want to talk and speak on relationships. And mm-hmm. then it's like, actually, I want to do more, which not to someone that is everything and that's awesome. But to me, it's like, I want to have conversations about death and existentialism mm. and and all the things, the hard conversations and uh, fuck, don't get me wrong, fucking relationship conversations are hard <laughs> and handling conflict is hard and developing your own self-worth separate of someone else's thought of mm. you is maybe the most challenging framework there is. But I, I guess I think of like what brings you alive right now and then allowing that to change because one thing I see so much struggle with for people is they're in a relationship they chose when they were really young, when they didn't know who they are. And now they don't know what to do with that relationship because it was based on old ways of being a foundation that was when you wake up to who you are is actually now out of integrity and alignment with your true essence, which, hey, that's the hardest fucking work. Like I was blessed to end an engagement to get to that space. But gosh, there's, you know, people waking up at 75 going, this isn't the life I wanted. And I'm like, it's not too late, you know, which people hate when I say that because they're like, but they might break up with your grandpa and then your grandpa's hurt. And I'm like, who told you when you came to this planet that people wouldn't get hurt? Right. Like, which is not about maliciousness again, but how many feelings can you save and lose yourself, right? Like, that's not a badge of honor. No. 
but it, but I feel like we're, you know, there's a training in there. Like, yeah, that keep protect others. Don't cause chaos. Don't be dramatic. Especially if you're female. Majorly. And I mean, like, imagine how many people are waking up right now being like, how did I marry this person now that we're in quarantine? <laughs> like, this realization might come a little quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to the deepest training round. When I think like, do I want to also honor and give permission to the fact that a lot of men, and I'm being gender normative here, uh, the challenges in between those is incredible. Um, but for men is waking up actually to their emotional selves mm -hmm. and not allowing themselves permission to be that. Uh, but you're human, so you have feelings. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Learn them, right? Mm -hmm. Like learn them. And that's if we are in a position of privilege because of the invitation of patriarchy, then it is up to us to normalize and bring down the pedestal and the privilege by learning emotional intelligence and inviting the power up. So no one's powerful. Everyone's everyone's on the same space. And that remind that really requires humility. Yes. So yes. <laughs> yes. yes. And yes, yeah, period. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it does. <laughs> so when was the first time that you realized because you're a brand eat the eat to love? Mm-hmm. I was like, eat the love. Eat the love. You eat can do love. that. You can do that too. <laughs> That's cheese. In so many ways. Hey, yo. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, but eat to love. When was the first time that you experienced, let's say as a kid, where you realized that to give or to caretake was the way through? Mm, um, like how old were you? You don't have to tell me about the six? situation. Six? Yeah. And then at what point did you realize you could do it through distracting people with delicious meals? <laughs> um, probably 20, no, probably about 17. Like I, yeah, I just kind of realized that this was such a great medium. Did you have, like when you think about that moment, did you realize in that moment that you did have some sort of magic touch with food? So I was always very drawn to the nutrition aspect. Like I was, I was so curious as to how something like a carrot would come out of the ground and then be good for a human. Like just that that was meant like, I, I just, mean, when you bring that up, I'm kind of like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but right. Like there's like vitamins and minerals that we need in our eyes. Like I just was kind of astonished by it the more I learned. So they, they all felt very separate. I also knew the joy of creating food for loved ones. And I saw that it would bring people together and bring loved ones together. And I got to feed people and I had learned again, separately from that, that feeding people made me feel full, mm. whether that was coming from a place of, you know, scarcity or not at the time, it was still a truth. Mm -hmm. Feeding people made me feel good. Yeah. There was like an yeah. alignment of passion, purpose, soul, yeah. all the things. Yeah. And then I met a, I met a chef that happened to do what I wanted to do, which was it. I, thought about cooking, but I was like, I can't work in a restaurant. Like there was all these things and stipulations around the vision that I had. And then I met the one man that did the thing that I wanted. And that was the end of that. As soon as you meet the person, like for me, it was like, I want that. And then you don't anymore. And then you evolve and everything changes. Yeah. But at that moment, I think I was like early twenties and I met someone that like had a career that, that made me happy in all of those ways. So I think and knowing that like caretaking was my superpower, I thought it was at the time, like yeah. 
I was the girl that in the classes, if, so, if two girls that in grade one got in a fight, I'd bring them into the hall and like have a chat and mediate these emotions. Mm. And I loved, yeah, that was like what I thought I was here to do for a long time was like mediate people's feelings and make them feel better. And I started- What a way you do that with food. Absolutely. It's just a sneakier way because it's pretty and it like is nourishing to the body. Bypasses the brain too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think about that. I know you're you're dead on about presentation because your presentation is dialed. I remember (laughs) you made tacos, like a beautiful Mm -hmm. taco mix, like everything was just amazing. And then you made your tacos and I made mine. And mine, it was like I was in prison. It was just like... <laughs> like prison tacos. Yeah. And then I just like, you like drizzle. And then there's a little this. And it's like all the colors are beautiful. Mine's just lumps mm-hmm. and and like streams of sauce. Food. Yeah, food. <laughs> Folds. No one sees it when it's folded up. Mm-mm. Oh, but it matters so much. And I have to say, when a taco comes from you, there is actually an experience of the artistic expression that you take the time to do that, where the energetic of receiving a dish with, which is really a piece of art, and then eating it, and you're like, whoa. Well, I design my food not for aesthetic. I design it for the bite that I want Mm -hmm. you to experience. So it is very crafted. And like, you know, the way someone can receive a meal that I cook for them usually shows me a lot about what they grew up with. You can see, like, I can often like tell, tell a, us more. Well, there's like a relationship that I often see with clients where when I start to work for them, I can see where, what nourishment has been in their life. Mm-hmm. Like, were they nourished? Do they trust in the nourishment? It's usually, it comes out usually with my relationship with them, but like, are you going to be back tomorrow or like what's in here? I don't know what you're giving me. Like there's, you just see a lot about what someone's experience was with food and food is just this basic form of nourishment that humans need to survive. Mm-hmm. So you can see what their relationship is to nourishment based on how they receive food and what they're happy with. And I just learned so much about, um, I think how people were parented based on, I can usually tell, like I could guess how someone was parented in like a day of working with them based on what they want their food to be like and how quickly they want to eat it or if they let it sit and wait for it. Like there's a, it's like a jungle. If we eat fast. Eat fast. You can, you can. What does that mean? Because I eat fast. I'm ready. (laughs) Well, it depends. the youngest. Yeah. I mean, that's, you can usually see like sibling stuff with the eating fast, but um, you know, are you worth the time? Can you take the time to chew? Do you deserve that? Can you receive the nutrients that you're putting in your body? Presence. Presence, the, the slowness. I don't like that answer, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there is a lot. It is the, there is such an interesting thing with food. And like, hey, I do it where I'm in between calls and I'm eating, standing up, which I'm, I have to tell all my clients, like, it's about sitting and being present and eating slowly so that your body actually absorbs the nutrients you're giving it. Yeah, because chewing helps, right? Chewing is a great thing to Mastication, do. Mastication, <laughs> yeah. as we call it. Imagine. Mastication. All yeah. forms of words that sound like that are very... <laughs> They're be beneficial. present. Be present. <laughs> be present. Dopamine hits. But really, you, can, you, you do. You get to really see an insight into someone's relationship with nourishment and self when you feed them. That's really inviting me to be so much uh, more present because that, that, uh, like that slowness of like, can you take the time to just be with your food, mm-hmm. especially in that context of like 
you know, one thing <laughs> the Catholics <laughs> or the religious folks might have dialed is the moment of prayer mm -hmm. and thanks that occurs also at the gathering and family dinners, um, assuming your family is functional and safe to be with. But that like moment, I think we've so gotten away, but getting back to, um, especially, you know, in countries like Canada, the U.S., um, very capitalistic driven countries, which is not a criticism of capitalism, relax anybody there, but it is that we are individually focused and um, in that state of like, it's my trauma, my this, which mm -hmm. is good, important. But I think in a way we're like starting to come back to community and we're, we're remembering, I hope, the wisdom that is innate in our elders uh, because we are in a global world now, a global economy, we can live in a different country where our parents don't live or our grandparents or whatever it is. And so we actually miss out on so mm -hmm. much. And food is that one thing, like the family dinners, which you don't have to be blood to be family. Mm -mm. And I know you talk about that, that like that, that community experience Tell us more. Well, you Michaela. know, <laughs> Michaela, Michaela. I think um, when I was first passionate about the food, but I didn't know how to actually cross into working with it, I started mm -hmm. taking cooking classes. And I remember I was in Italy and I took a cooking class with um, a very old Italian grandmother. And the way she grabbed my arm and the way the room was lit with candles and the way that she, like, in very broken English, taught me about this sauce, I realized that I was learning something generations old. And in mm. this sauce was the pr preservation of a culture, of a story, of a long lineage of sharing and of community. And I think that really sparked my interest. Like that to me, I was like, wow, human connection. I, I was on the hunt for human connection and I found it through the food, but I really wanted to feel. And that is exactly it. Like there was no, we weren't related, but I felt so connected to this woman who was a grandmother. And in that moment, she was my grandmother and I was mm -hmm. sharing with her. And I think in each of these courses and you're invited into families' homes and you're sharing and you're presently eating with people, I think that there's so much to learn. And, and you're right, we, we unfortunately don't sit with our, the generations as much as other cultures do. And I do think that we're at a loss and I think it's important to, to look at the recipes. Like it would be so interesting to ask your mother and your grandmother if they're still alive, like, what is your favorite recipe? Do you have something from a generation before? Because there's a story in there mm. and there's a story that like when they pass, so does the recipe unless it's passed down. So you see culture and stories kind of preserved in these, this lineage of a tomato sauce. I think of my mom's stuffing. Mm. And then when I go to other people's houses and I eat stuffing from some their parent or them, I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's not my mom's. You know, like it has that. <laughs> yeah. One year my mom put apple or something, raisins mm. or something in the fucking stuffing. <laughs> and the whole family was like, listen, if you're going to change up the recipe, you do it on your own time. You know, <laughs> we have this joke. Sorry, mom, we're going to get a new yeah, one. <laughs> we're like, you need to pass all of your recipe changes through the family first. Yeah, yeah that, that level of like in workplace research where they look at like, what is it that makes the most high functioning team? 
And I promise this does relate in some way. And they, you know, do the team building, go for beers after work or whatever it is. And the one intervention that actually had the highest increase in productivity was actually making the lunch tables longer Mm. so that people sat together in bigger groups and got to know each other. And it is that level when we're all on our phones, there's no intimacy and not intimacy being like sexual, but intimacy, like into me, see, Mm -hmm. I I didn't come up with that. It's great though. (laughs) Um, when I first heard it, I was like, how did I not know? Exactly. Right? How did I read that so many times? <laughs> but in that of like, there is something about tech free, mm-hmm. like sitting down. I've really thought about an analog revolution of like, fuck Spotify. I mean, I love Spotify. Don't get me wrong. Um, and if you're listening to Spotify, amazing job. But the, <laughs> I, what I mean is like those musical online things mm-hmm. versus a record player. Like just bringing it back to the sound of the scratch and the mm-hmm. presence and everyone's phone goes away or you put on Spotify and everyone's phone goes away and you're just like present. Well, and there's a deep hunger that humans have for connection, even more than food. So when I set out on this like journey of becoming a traveling chef, I wasn't like amped on chopping an onion. That's for sure. <laughs> like that's that. never it's, been passion. Yeah. I cry too. It's yeah, so bad. It's awful. Hey, yo. <laughs> God, I'm on fire. You're Dad joke. Funny. I know, I know. Yeah. I didn't need Do that one. one. No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> but I think like I set out to connect with humans. Like that's what mm. really got me going. That that's what felt good. That made me feel alive in moments. It was the eye contact. It was the exchange. And it happened to fall into food because that gathered humans near and that was what I could give them, but it was for the human connection. So I think, you know, what you were saying just about in the business place or the workplace where they made it more about human connection and people became more productive. Mm-hmm. And in, in all these aspects, I think that that's where we're lacking the most is like, you know, you could eat nothing, you could eat something that doesn't taste very good, but be sitting with another person and still feel more fed. Oh yeah. So mm-hmm. true. Hey, because mm-hmm. if I eat tacos by myself, yes, <laughs> winning. but if I eat them with other people, there is something about making your tacos together. And, mm-hmm. but then that just to be, I think that is everything to see someone and to be seen that shared moment of like, I see you. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for you. You know, moments are so fleeting that the people we choose to share moments with is literally the greatest gift, you know, and yet we're in moments together and certainly guilty of this myself too. And we're like, "Uh, I'm going to go on Instagram, Mm -hmm. which, Hey, everybody's got their work and their thing. It's not a criticism of that, but it's like, can we find balance between, you know, that line that we are seemingly becomes more blurred between the digital world and the real world. And food is the thing that you can't get on Instagram. Mm-mm. You can try to hack connection, but eventually it'll catch up to you. But food, you can't digitally, you can't double tap it. You can <laughs> double tap a picture, but doesn't. Feel oh, like that was a bad pun, but a good one, actually. <laughs> no, you know. no. no, is it bad? Okay. <laughs> That's good though, kind of. Okay, anyways. But yeah. You know, over the the time that I was cooking for others and using it kind of like to receive human connection and validation, 
as it turned back around on myself again, I realized that I needed to carve that space out for me. So I needed to, like, this is kind of looping back to the beginning of the conversation, but there's still the nourishment that I had to do and show up for myself in those moments. And that has fundamentally changed the last three years of my life, which I thought I could only achieve in reaching out and sharing it with community. And then I was like, I can still do this alone. Like, I mean, now's a really good time to talk Mm -hmm. about what it is to eat a meal alone. And Mm -hmm. I still want Netflix and I want to watch a movie when I'm eating. And sometimes I do and I give myself that space. And sometimes I try to sit and just be, even if it's for eight minutes, like what, what that does for me, or if it's planning out what I'm going to make for tomorrow and, or I make a big batch of it to cook for myself. Like I cook a bunch from, for myself in the week rather than like wanting to order in. For me, that's like, showing up that's offering love that's offering self care and i'm offering myself like a a connection to a part of me that didn't feel taken care of ever Mm. so there's a deep internal connection as well when you are even kind of alone that you can kind of work on now and then yes we'll never replace beautiful dinners without phones with friends like that can't be replaced on social media or zoom calls like we're in it now i get it but like yeah you know like awesome zoom but i'm ready to be done with you <laughs> you know <laughs> like i think we're all about zoomed out yeah and we might be in it for a little bit and now it's like who do you bring into your space and who do you feed and you know it's been interesting cooking for this is the longest in my life i've ever not cooked for other people so now when i cook for someone else it's a choice i'm choosing to use this funny super tool that I've worked on. And I, and now I get to do it completely from a choice and I see where my boundaries are in it. That's cool. Yeah. And I see how good I've been feeling kind of doing it for myself again too, because the only thing I know about the last three years for me, when I kind of hit rock bottom in my own life and then had to build in these like ways of nurturing is that my life is becoming exponentially happier and and I keep learning more and I feel better as a human. And I know I have a long way to go, but I just know that there's something, there's something in there in like treating yourself, making the space, you know, prioritizing it. Like you're brushing your teeth. Like if you know you get hungry, bring a bag of nuts in your, in, in your purse and go on a walk. Like just do little things where you start to show yourself the consideration that you would do for someone else. You know, I think of this time that we're, Let's go with gifted. I mean, really, that's the only way to look at it and the struggle and all the things that are coming with this. Uh, And I think it does offer this really beautiful opportunity of inquiry to be like, okay, who am I in this space? Especially when I'm scared and I'm uncertain and, you know, I have no choice, but I can't escape the struggles in my relationship with work because I don't get to go to work. You know, and now we're faced with all the things we're so busy and we might be at home buried in our phones to avoid home. But if you're doing anything to avoid being present, then you know there's something in presence that you fear. And I remember listening to uh, the spiritual teacher, Gangaji, and uh, someone was talking to her and and they said, uh, you know, I'm sober and like, what do I need to do? Essentially asking, like, what do I need to do to get closer to God, closer to myself. And Gangaji said, get more sober. Mm. 
get sober from everything that pulls you away from who you are. And I remember thinking like, holy fuck. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then I hear you say, oh, well, if you eat fast, then you got to <laughs> And I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. You didn't say it like that, but you <laughs> but yeah. And that's like, I can't unhear that truth now. Right. And so I have a choice. And because you're my friend, I have no fucking choice. I have to do it. <laughs> my neighbor. I get to do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I would like to emphasize that if you'd like to choose to make more food for other people, I happen to know a kitchen <laughs> and a friend who would say, doesn't mind. Well, it is, you, there is an exponential growth in the small little things that you do for yourself in a day and how you start to trust yourself and you feed yourself like maybe one meal in a week. And then you notice that you've done it maybe twice and you just start to trust the fact that you can take care of you and that you are worth it. And you're, you're okay to take that time. And this is a subtle, long growth but it starts with really small, simple little things, which is just being present to something you can feed yourself differently. And we can talk about, you know, what you feed yourself with information and with energy and all of that stuff. But, you know, my work is in food. So that's where I get to see someone that makes one teeny little change in a day and how it actually impacts um, the way their brain believes in their capability to take care. Mm. And it's a really beautiful thing to watch someone's life transform just because they start to prioritize even 10 minutes in a day for themselves. I think like if you started to eat nutrient-dense foods or continued to, you can't actually watch the news as much anymore, <laughs> right? Because like you're saying, we could talk about how you consume information, mm -hmm. how you do these other things. But I think there's a book called It Starts With Food, but it does start with that, that nutrient... Because when you're nutrient rich, man, you can't tolerate bullshit anymore. You begin to at least be reminded. And you said earlier, like when you start to feed, like when someone starts to experience your food, they experience something. And yeah. to me, it's that reminder that they're important. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need to be reminded like your friend did that said, it actually would be a gift to me for you to actually stay and take care of yourself. And that might be the first time that someone's ever said, like, actually, your self-care is the love we have between us. Yeah. And gosh, my earlier relationships, I certainly didn't think that way because I didn't think that way about myself. Mm -hmm. But now I know that the honoring of other, their own individuation, their own process, their own thing is everything. Mm -hmm. And it's a gift. Such a good. Because you get to learn how to treat someone else the way that they need to be treated. Like the platinum rule, not like treat everyone like you want to be treated. Yeah. It's different. It's like, yeah, treat everyone like they need to be treated at, yes. when you protect yourself first. Like there's a, such a beautiful thing to learn there. And I think, yeah. Love of self is love of other. Boundaries is love. Mm -hmm. It's all love. It's all love, baby. It's all love, baby. <laughs> it's all love. We just lit a joint right there yeah. right before that. Um, I love you. I love you. Thank you for coming on and sharing your beautiful wisdom. <laughs> and I know that you just started doing a real awesome thing called the Weekly Scoop. <laughs> Sounds different. How do you say it? The Weekly Scoop. <laughs> <laughs> that was like great media voice there. The Weekly Scoop, which, I mean, I, 
I did the broccoli, mm-hmm. the plum vinegar broccoli. U- but Ume plum vinegar. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. That was really good. I actually felt very chef-like, I have to tell you, <laughs> after I made that. I'm like, the flavors in this broccoli are just <laughs> popping off the dish. <laughs> mm-hmm. So where do people find you? How do they get the weekly scoop? So, we'll put the links in the show notes, but um, tell us. So the weekly scoop is there's a link on, what is it called? The profile of my Instagram. That's where I've been letting it live for now. And you can download those. And I'm doing um, Insta lives alongside the three recipes that I send out on Thursdays. And then it gives you the weekend to grocery shop. And then you can join. And for me, this has been such a pleasure because I, I think that it is so like the way we are in life. Like you get scared if you don't know something. So I'm, there's like these little skills that I want to teach people and also show like a very casual approach to being in the kitchen so that you you build this beautiful confidence and then you get to learn how to cook for yourself. And even yeah. if it's one little thing like that, like flare up you just had around the chef moment. I'm pretty good. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and I'm a chef. Yeah. <laughs> but like that, I see that with so many people. And it's a gift to just know even how to put something in a blender and make it for yourself. Like you did that. You took care of you mm, and yes. that's all. Yeah. yeah. And now you you go and now you trust in your negotiations in life and you trust in all these other areas for yourself because you're taking care of you. So I think this weekly scoop has been really fun and I get to learn how to be on camera and it's just, it's exciting. So you, you can find play. it. I get to play. Yeah. And be myself and not like try and stage it any differently. I'm like, here I am using a fork the wrong way and using a spatula because this is what I have to work with because this isn't my normal kitchen. So it's it's imperfect. And I love yes. that. Yeah. Michaela Rubin. M-I-K-A-E-L-A space. No, space. To the last name. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit that out. <laughs> Rubin, R-E-U-B-E-N. Go find Michaela Rubin at Michaela Rubin on Instagram. And I'm guessing if, I mean, that's a rare name. So if I Googled you, are you like top? I don't know if there are. There if are not, others. we'll take care of the other ones. <laughs> Bump them down, Google. <laughs> Sorry, I bye. mean, take care of them, but you know what I mean. <laughs> we'll send them a nice dish and be like, hey, we bumped you off Google. Um, Michaela Rubin, I love you. Thank you for being here. Everyone, make sure you go check her out. Sign up for the weekly, the weekly scoop. The weekly scoop. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.